Welcome to the Virginia Economic Review podcast. This is Jason L. Kuby, Executive Vice President of the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Today, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to speak with Peter Fett, CEO, CTO, and founder of Rocket Lab, a space company with commercial launch sites in New Zealand and Wallops Island on Virginia's eastern shore. As we record this, Rocket Lab is currently preparing for its first launch from Wallops. Peter, thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure, Jason. So excited to talk with you, Peter. You guys are doing amazing things. To start, just give us a little background on Rocket Lab. What are the origins of the company, and how has the company evolved over its existence? I originally started the company in New Zealand back in 2007, and we became a U.S. company and headquartered up in Long Beach, California in 2013. But we ended up building a launch site down in New Zealand uh, initially to enable the frequency and the, the launch angles that we needed. So we're the only small launch vehicle in the world today that's currently flying and one of only two private companies who have ever delivered satellites to orbit. We're just super excited to have our pad finished in in Virginia and looking forward to flying this first mission and and many more to follow. Well, we feel the same way. And your amazing progress comes at a time of renewed public interest in space here in the U.S. Give us a sense of how Rocket Lab fits into the overall industry. What's your company's niche and operating model? You've talked a bit about the customers, but how do you guys fit in? So we built a small launch vehicle for delivering small satellites. And satellites have shrunken drastically in size over the last decade. And it doesn't sit well when you have a very large rocket and a very small satellite. The economics just don't close. So it's really about providing a dedicated ride for small spacecraft to get onto orbit in, in a really timely manner. And, you know, it's, it's particularly critical for our government customers who need absolute assured access to space in a rapid way. And the thing that's really unique about the Virginia launch site at Wallops is the whole launch site, including all the operations, has been specifically designed for rapid on-call-up launch demand. So it's a very, very unique facility, and it brings really a whole new national capability to the country that that doesn't exist, where government needs the customer can call up rapidly. That's something that I'd love to dive into a little bit deeper. Talk a little bit about, you know, specifically what chose you to locate Rocket Lab's U.S. facility at Wallops Island. Kind of walk us through the selection process and how you ended up there with your second launch complex here in Virginia. We actually ran a national competing process and we looked at all the potential launch sites around the U.S. And really the super strong support from the Commonwealth of Virginia led by uh, Shannon Valentine was one of the, the key elements. The incredible welcome that we got there, the capabilities of the team there at Virginia Space led by Dale Nash. We had to build a launch site in under a year and in order to do that you require a massive team effort and it was just a huge team effort by a lot of people and both the state of Virginia and Virginia Space Authority had a strong record of, of building and maintaining launch pads really, really quickly. Plus, I think there were some cultural aspects there as well. I mean, New Zealanders, uh, we obviously we have a number of New Zealanders in our team. We just arrived there and it really felt very, very well. You know, the culture is really really jarred. That's terrific to hear. You mentioned Virginia's Secretary of Transportation, Shannon Valentine, some of the folks at at Virginia Space. Can you talk a little bit more about the relationship with Virginia Space? How does that partnership work? It's a very, very close partnership. So Virginia Space has built a a real capability with technicians and experienced engineers in developing and operating uh, launch pads. And although, you know, most people see a, a launch pad and think that's all there is to a rocket facility. There's another facility that we've built just off the island, which is a vehicle processing facility. 
with multiple clean rooms and it's all very highly secure. It's just a tremendous wealth of experience, knowledge and, and commitment really from that team. Rocket Lab is you know, very aggressive in, in its timelines and in the way that we execute technologies and everybody just really got in behind us, support us to get this capability stood up in record time. You know, I'm, I'm really interested in the technology side of this. One of the things that Rocket Lab is focused on is the development of a reusable rocket system. Can you talk about that? How close are you to being able to recover rockets after launch? We've successfully re-entered two rockets in a row. We haven't recovered them, but re-entered them into the Earth's atmosphere. And that's actually the hardest thing to do. So for us, Flight 17 coming up here is, is going to be a real test point because on that flight, we have a full recovery system. So really, we'll see how close we get on Flight 17. But you're correct, we have made a commitment to try and, and reuse as much as we can of, of the launch vehicle, which is particularly hard on a small launch vehicle. You know, a larger launch vehicle, you have more margins to play with. It's a very complex problem, but, you know, we're, we're making fantastic progress. Another interesting project you're working on is Rocket Lab's pathfinding mission supporting NASA's mission to the moon to be launched from Virginia. Can you tell our listeners about that exciting mission? Most people think of Rocket Lab as a launch company, and certainly, you know, that, that's what we're well known for. But we also build satellites, and not just simple satellites, but very complex satellites. We recently won a contract to support NASA to deliver, you know, one of the first communication relays to cislunar orbit. We begin launching from, you know, the pad in, in Virginia, and then we spend about eight days continually raising the orbit on a very complex trajectory and then finally we do one big burn and send ourselves on the way to the moon. We're really really excited about that mission and to build some of the very first elements of the Lunar Gateway. You have so many incredible projects underway. What are some of the other technological advances developed at Rocket Lab that you're most proud of? And similarly, can you Talk a bit about the future. What are you most excited about in the coming year? Rocket Lab is highly vertically integrated. So we produce about 95% of the entire launch vehicle in-house. With that comes a lot of innovation. The one thing that everybody will see when they stand and look at an electron launch is that it's black in colour. And black in colour because it's made completely of carbon fibre from tip to tail. So there's a lot of really unique technologies in there. We 3D print our rocket engines and it's a, a completely different rocket engine cycle being in a, an electric a hybrid turbo pump cycle. So there's lots of really unique technologies. But the thing that excites me the most about the future is when you combine a launch vehicle like Electron with the satellite platform that we've also built called Photon, it really lowers the barrier to entry to space. Now, the first problem that we tried to solve with Electron was how do we gain frequent access to space? And we see launch now as the solved problem. The next problem is how do we make it easier for, for businesses, for researchers, for governments to be able to you know, put the thing on orbit that really matters, the capability or the sensor that generates the revenue? And within space, there's a tremendous amount of stuff you have to do before you can get your first result from orbit. And we're really focused on trying to reduce those barriers to allow rapid and, and innovation and growth in space in a way that we haven't seen before. Can you just give us a sense of what an electron rocket is and how it differs from maybe other types of rockets? The first thing you'll notice with an electron is it's very small compared to most of the rockets everybody will be familiar with. Instead of being 20 stories tall, you know, electrons are seven stories tall. So it's much smaller than traditional launch vehicles. That's specifically because it's designed for lifting small satellites into orbit. That and its colour are probably the two things that people will recognise most about it. But don't let its small stature dictate its, its capabilities. So although it's, it's small in size, you know, we're able to lift payloads to the moon, to Mars and, and, and other planets. 
So it's very high performance, but small rockets are delivering small satellites into orbit. And the satellites sort of range in the size of a loaf of bread to, you know, a refrigerator. So they're that kind of size of spacecraft we launch. As we think about the aerospace industry overall, what do you see as the next big advances that are on the horizon? The thing that's really exciting about the space industry and the thing that, that I guess that gets me up every morning is the power the space industry has to affect so many lives down here on Earth. The missions that, that garner a lot of attention are obviously the manned missions. For good reason, I'm always in the front row cheering those on. But what a lot of people don't realise is, is how much they are reliant on space infrastructure that's in orbit currently. And GPS is a great example. Everybody understands GPS. But there's no Uber Eats without GPS, no Ubers without GPS, let alone you know, direction. But communication, weather, all of this stuff is coming from space. But it's all hidden infrastructure. It's not like you can walk outside and see some power lines and go, oh, yep, that's where my power's coming from. You'll go outside and there'll be a little grey dish pointing to the sky. And it's like, well, that's where my TV comes from. But it's less obvious where all of these other services from space that are integrated into our everyday lives are coming from. The thing that, that I'm most excited about is when you kind of democratise that market and open that market up, for commercial enterprise to grow and innovate, then a whole lot of new services and new opportunities start to arrive. The slogan that we have here at Rocket Lab is, is we go to space to improve life on Earth. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we live, in, live by, is trying to build infrastructure on orbit that has the ability to affect millions and tens of millions, if not billions of people around the world every day. Peter, you've talked a lot about you know different parts of the business, but I know you're also very excited about the spacecraft division of Rocket Lab. Can you talk a bit about what's going on there? So this is a relatively new division for us, and we made some acquisitions early in the year, which really put a backbone to the division. So much like the launch vehicle division, the satellite division also is highly vertically integrated. So we, we build just about everything in-house there. And the kind of spacecraft that, that we're building are really exciting and unique. You know, we're building spacecraft to go back to the moon. We're really excited about that. And we also are able to provide spacecraft systems into other people's platforms as well. So although people think of Rocket Lab as a beautiful black rocket, there's lots of components with the, the Rocket Lab logo on it uh, sitting in other people's spacecraft all around the world. Speaking of life here on Earth, we're talking at a time when the world is dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Any interesting perspectives on how the pandemic has affected the private space industry? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm typically a a very optimistic guy, and I think if you're going to be in the space industry, especially the launch vehicle industry, you need a degree of optimism at all times. But I hope that this is somewhat of a lump of the road. Certainly, you know, venture capital for private space industry has frozen up and will remain that way. Sense of normality is, is returned. For the, in the venture capital funded um, private parts of the space industry, it's, in, it's a very interesting and challenging time. However, good entrepreneurs, good business models will always succeed over time. So I tend to think of it as certainly a bump in the road. Um, it's a very, very challenging time. But the space industry has weathered, I would say, um, extremely well. The space industry forms the backbone of a lot of really critical infrastructure on Earth. So in some respects, it just has to march on, much like public health has to march on, food production has to march on, space has to march on. So we've largely seen that as you know, rockets are still launching, satellites are still being built, albeit at a slightly kind of disjointed pace. But my predictions for the space industry remain very buoyant. And if you look at the reports from the likes of Morgan and Stanley, pre-pandemic, they were predicting a space industry value of $1 trillion 
by uh, 2030. So, you know, we're at 365 million right now. So there's a lot of growth yet to occur in the next decade or so. I'd like you to draw on your personal experience a bit with this next question. You may know that one of our major focus areas at VEDP is workforce development and how education prepares students for future careers. You've got a unique perspective on that, I think. I understand you did not attend university and basically gained your knowledge and experience on the job. Is your experience instructive regarding potential alternative pathways to more knowledge-intensive fields? In other words, what can schools and companies and organizations do to make sure that the next Peter Beck doesn't fall through the cracks? What do we do to unlock that child's full potential? Yeah, this is a great question, and I reflect upon this quite a lot, actually. There is a drive certainly for highly academic qualifications and in certain fields, you know, that's absolutely required. And to be honest with you, that was always part of my plan. I just ran out of time. So, you know, my my pathway was probably a little bit more unusual than most. However, you know, I think there is certainly multiple pathways here. And, you know, when we look to employ somebody, certainly we'll look at their academic qualifications. But really, at some point, it all starts to look the same. So the kind of people that we look for are doers. Somebody who may have gone to university or a trade school, but outside that, they are building things. If they're an engineer, then you know we love to see them actually building things in the weekends and at their night and building their own knowledge and experience. And motivation can make up a lot of knowledge. If you're motivated, you gain the knowledge quickly. So we will take somebody with a lesser grade that is, is highly motivated and really done things from an extracurricular of nature than somebody who's basically just gone to university, got straight A's and gone home in the evening. Schooling is important, but the kind of person that you are is, I would say, of equal importance to what your grades are. And it's really important that we encourage our kids and our students to, you know, obviously to get good grades, but to think about the other things that they can be doing to build their knowledge and experience. You know, one of the things that I find is that everybody just needs to think a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger aspirations and push to try and achieve them. That is inspiring. Peter, I wanted to also ask you just a little bit about your experience in Virginia. You spend a lot of time in New Zealand. Uh, You're from there, but you've got a significant interest in Virginia because of the launch facility at Wallops. Have you spent much time in Virginia? What have you enjoyed in your time here? I wish I'd spent more, to be honest with you, because I'm always racing around the world. I think my my postcode, you could argue, last year was somewhere over the Pacific rather than any particular piece (laughs) of landmass. But I really love it over there. Fantastic ice cream, by the way. I'm really looking forward to this uh, pandemic to be a little bit more under control or gone because my plan was to take my wife and children over there and we're going to spend a decent amount of time, especially in the New Zealand winter. It's a very nice place. I really, as does the team, you know, that, that was one of the things that, like I was saying before, that the cultural connection there was just was just so strong and just such a, a wonderful area, wonderful, friendly people, and we just thoroughly enjoy our time there. And the one thing that I have to say that just really made me proud is that, uh, you know, arriving up to the security gate and the security guard has got the rocket lab electron cap on and and given us a big thumbs up as, as we go through so we've just enjoyed you know so much support from the whole team there and so it's such a, a welcome as well everybody is rooting for us and wants us to succeed and you know we're we're really working hard to make sure that we can bring lots and lots of launches to the state peter we are thrilled that you're in virginia and it has been a delight to talk with you i look forward to uh, seeing you and your family in virginia soon hope you stay well and safe as we ride out the rest of this pandemic. Thank you so much for being with us today. That's my absolute pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Thanks for listening.